Amen. Good morning. Welcome to church this morning. Um, so for those, just an announcement real quick before we dive in. You can be turning over to Philippians chapter 1. Um, there was supposed to be a new member Devo today, uh, but the brother leading it is sick. So we're going to postpone that. But uh, TBA, so we'll keep everybody updated on when we're going to postpone uh, the new member devotional for those that were uh, planning on that or expecting to be part of that. Okay. But uh, in Philippians chapter 1, we're going to start. Welcome, uh, everyone. You know, today I, um, I'm, I'm feeling good. Come on. I'm feeling good today. Uh, you know, it's, it's I myself, I, I went to a, a basketball school. Yeah. You know, we just, we love basketball. Uh, and we're just, it's just when you're at basketball school, I know some of you went to North Carolina, some of you are at UVA, but. When you're in a pure blood basketball school like Virginia Tech, it's just, it's special. It's special. <laughs> Barely won. Barely won. Um, it's just kind of who we are, you know. Um, but uh, good morning and welcome. And uh, for those uh, that are still smarting from that, it's okay. It's, it's, it's basketball. You know, you'll bounce back. You'll still get the one seed. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. Um, no pun intended, but uh, I do want to encourage, we actually have uh, some people, some folks, some special folks who are back in town, the, the Ristons are here, uh, so we encourage them. Uh, the Ristons are back, they actually uh, went on a faithful mission, uh, mission trip, mission planting, church planting to Akron, Ohio, so they're back uh, in town, they're also our landlords, so they're, they're doing a great job with that. Uh, they're, uh, before it was the Mines Clubhouse, you may not know this, it was the Riston Clubhouse, so uh, yes, so we got to give credit where credit's due there. Still the wristing club. But really, it's the, it's the Brooklyn wristing clubhouse, I think. I think it, it, Brooklyn deserves, I don't know, like a little, like a bust or maybe some kind, when you walk in, something to memorialize, commemorate Brooklyn. Um, she's not in here anymore. She, she's, she's out. Okay. But um, it still is the wristing clubhouse. We should probably still call it that. Um, but, uh, but amen. Welcome back, guys. We love you. Um, and uh, so for all that are visiting today, welcome. For those who have, who have come before, welcome back. We're uh, journey, taking a journey through the book of Philippians. Uh, this is our theme for the year, grace-driven transformation, to be able to really live a life as a disciple uh, that is driven by grace. And grace, a word that is a pretty popular uh, Christian word, a religious word, but really getting deep, trying to really understand what is grace, what did, it, what did grace mean to them, so that grace can drive us in our lives to do all the things uh, that we are called to do, um, to be able to live the life that we are called to live. And any of us that actually that do read the Bible, we see that there is a high calling, a high standard. Things you read going, how is that even really possible? And a lot of what um, grace, the word grace can do is actually cause us to lower standards and say, well, here's the biblical standard, but no one can really achieve that. Thank goodness for grace. Let me just kind of do what's humanly possible. And we actually lower our expectations. We start living a religious life instead of one that Jesus would call uh, a Christian life, wow. or that Jesus would call it a disciple life. And grace is and was always supposed to be a driving factor. Um, but like a lot of things, Satan can take it and twist it. So we want to look at the book of Philippians and kind of see to them what did it really mean to be grace-driven. Uh, and so before we start reading, I just want to ask a question. I want you to reflect a little bit. What is your singular passion? What is your, what is your greatest passion? Uh, what do you live for? What if taken away, would crush you. 
Uh, could be a sport, could be athletics, could be grades in school, could be a friendship, could be a romantic relationship. But what is that thing where everything else could go wrong, but you think to yourself, well, at least I have this. At least I have this. I remember one time we were in college at the school across the way. Uh, I was, in, in our campus ministry, we still love playing Risk. Now, Risk is a game uh, where tempers can, can flare up a little bit. We used to play Risk and Poker a lot. That was like our two games, Risk and, and Poker. Um, so... I like to think I'm good at both those things. But we were playing Risk one time, and everything, all rules were open and available in Risk. Like one time, like this guy was going to invade Australia. I was holding Australia at the time. And he was going to invade Australia, and I, was, I happened to be eating a cheese quesadilla. And he said, hey, I'm not going to invade if you give me half your quesadilla. And I said, you got yourself a deal. So I gave him the quesadilla. He didn't invade. I won the game. It was a great trade. I felt great about it. But... There were other times in risk where things didn't go so well. And uh, one time I remember a brother, he, he was out quick. Like, there's always that guy who's out first, and it's bad because the game goes on for two more hours, and you're just, like, sitting there, you got to go, you know, watch TV. It's, just, it's rough. It's like shame. We're shaming you for losing. But this brother, uh, of course, you know him. Uh, yeah, yeah he's, he's, in, he's, in, he's in Colorado now. If you're watching Lex, hello. Um, but his brother Lex, uh, he lost early, lost quick, and he stands up. And all of us happen to be single at the time except Lex. And so Lex stands up as he's killed, eliminated from the game, and goes, well, at least I have a girlfriend. And then he walked out, and we were all just like, wow. <laughs> Amen. A parting shot for the ages. But I always kind of thought of that as like, you know, like when you lose something, lose a game, like, well, at least I have this. Or, oh, man, I got a bad grade on a test, but at least I have this. And we... It's kind of a trivial example, so sorry for that. But thinking about what do we hold on to and what if taken away would destroy us. Um, these are also just called idols. They're idols. They're things that we worship, things we praise in our lives. But there's something special about this passage. Something incredible is going to happen here in this letter uh, to the Philippians. For those that don't know real briefly, Paul writes this letter. Philippians is a letter okay, written to the church in Philippi, which is in Greece. But he himself is most likely in prison in Rome. So in Italy, okay, to the west there. He's writing this letter, and we actually, in this passage, get to see not what's happening in Philippi, but what's happening for Paul in Rome. Usually Paul writes a letter to, like, deal with their situation. Paul's actually going to give us insight into what he's going through in his church at the time in Rome. So Paul's in prison. He's got, he's in prison, he's in chains in the stocks, okay, uh, in Rome. Uh, and so we're going to see as he writes this letter, he has a, what's really close to a soliloquy, if you know, like drama. Like it's actually a moment where he reflects on what his purpose is and what he's really doing. And any of us who actually go through suffering, we have that exact same kind of moment of what am I really doing? Is this really worth it? Uh, what are my motivations? And so it's very powerful and it's a special opportunity for us to look at Paul this morning and really see what drove him. And so in Philippians chapter 1 verse 12, uh, Paul writes, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me when I am in chains. But what does it matter? 
The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice for I know that you, uh, through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. That's powerful. Verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to be with Christ, which is by far better, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ will abound on account of me. The word boasting there at the end is more this idea of your, your trust, your security. You, you, not, not bragging or arrogance like we think, but your boasting, something that gives you security, something that gives you the ability to lift, to boast yourself is in Christ. Your trust is in Christ. But this is an amazing passage here. Paul's writing, and let's reflect just how incredible this really is. Imagine for yourself that this is you. Paul always wanted to go to Rome. He always did. We know that from the book of Acts. We know it from other, uh, other letters he writes. He wants to go to Rome. And he goes to Rome and he gets imprisoned. He goes to jail. Uh, now, for any of us, that might begin to be a, for us to think it's a bad sign. Right? If your minister goes to prison, you don't necessarily rejoice. Okay? If you receive persecution at work or you're made fun of for a particular stance, or at school you're made fun of for taking a stance on perhaps dating or what movies you'll watch, or how you speak about people, and you're made fun of, you don't necessarily rejoice. Sometimes, and usually we actually take offense or we start to think we're doing something bad. And we've talked about this before, but we had this ability as people to think that um, when bad things happen, God must be opposing us. And when comfort and success and more money happen, God must be for us. Uh, That's why sometimes people say, well, God gave me this promotion. Um, but they don't always say God allowed me to go through this suffering. Yeah. Well, of course God wants to give you the promotion. That's what you want. Uh, so a lot of times we, we actually we project onto God what we want. Uh, but we, in reality, we don't actually celebrate the gifts God gives us that are actually suffering. We don't see it as a gift. We're like, this is bad. What did I do wrong? I must have done something wrong. And we can actually change uh, our behavior. We can change our, the way we live to avoid persecution. But Paul does something incredible. He says, no, it's actually served to advance the gospel. Now, Paul would go and preach to everybody, but now he can't. He's literally going to be, the way they do it is you, they have your hands uh, chained together. But not just you in like a prison cell. They chain you to a Roman guard. And they take four-hour shifts. And so Paul goes, hey, guess what? God's working. <laughs> I can't go share my faith with people, but you know what? I see six guys every day. And you know what I wait for them to ask? I wait for them to ask, what you in for? And I tell them, I tell them, thanks for asking. I'm here, but now I'm not a criminal. I didn't do anything. I'm just here because I love Jesus. I'm here because Jesus is my king. 
Let me tell you about it. And they're probably like, oh, for four hours. Four hours of this. But he ain't going anywhere, right? He's got a captive audience. And so Paul's like, actually, you know what's cool? Is that a people that normally would have never heard the gospel are getting to hear the gospel. So God's working. How is it that Paul's able to have this kind of perspective? Usually any of us would think, okay, this is bad. This is, this is not good. I, I only see six people a day. They happen to be like the six most, the six toughest people you can imagine. It's like Caesar's personal guard. It's like the secret service. Or it's like, this is like the upper echelon of guards, right? These are the, the trained battle-hardened men. And they have a king. And it's Caesar. But Paul is trying to help the church understand that, listen, God's going to work. And that Paul has an incredible ability here to make two things very clear. The gospel is unchained, and God's going to work no matter what. Yeah. And the title of my sermon today is Off the Chain. Wow. Is Off the Chain. Wow. Paul does an incredible thing. Now, if I say the word, let's play a word association game. If I say the word evangelism, what do you feel? Ooh, right? Mufasa. Um, it's, it's not, we don't like evangelism as much. Evangelism cannot even, some of us, we like it because we're good at it. Other of, a lot of us, we can feel like, oh, I don't know, we don't really do that anymore. Or, oh, we, uh, I don't really know how to do that. Or we think evangelism is like a spiritual conversation, like, oh, um, I'm blessed. Oh, okay, I was evangelistic. I told somebody I was blessed. You know, I, I, what is evangelism, really? What is it? And this, make no mistake about it, as much as even perhaps I tried to get this to mean something else, this is a passage about evangelism. This is a passage about the goal of the gospel, which is to share it with others. That Paul, despite suffering personal injury to himself, is still saying, you know what, I'm okay. Why? Because the mission is still intact. My singular mission, is, which happens to be God's mission, is still moving forward. And in case we're nervous that Paul's a little prideful about it, it turns out that there are other people who I guess, once they heard Paul was in prison, started to preach all the more boldly. Now, this is interesting because Paul doesn't oppose them. Now, in the book of Galatians, people are preaching false doctrine. They're trying to push, um, they're trying to add to the gospel. They're trying to make people do more than they need to do. They're trying to force them to follow these rules and regulations in Galatia. Now, in Corinth, they were taking away from the gospel. They were saying, no, the gospel's too much. You don't have to do all that. Actually, the resurrection is not even real. You just got to be a good person. And so in both cases, Paul takes them head on. How dare you? You do not add or take away from any of this. Like Revelation says right at the end there, right? You do not. He opposes them to their face. He deals with it with very strong language. He said, you shall go no further. You will stop this. You will cease and desist at once. This is blasphemy. This is heresy. You will stop. But he doesn't do it here. Why not? It appears that there's nothing wrong with the gospel that's being preached. It's actually quite doctrinally sound. There's nothing wrong with the method. There's nothing wrong with the way it's being preached. The problem seems to be in their motivation. It seems like people didn't like Paul that much or had a rivalry with him or disagreed about some things he did. So once he went to prison, they thought, now's our time. Now's my chance to preach. Now's my chance to step up. I'm going to do it, and I'm going to even do it in a way to kind of put some salt in Paul's wounds. Paul's going to hear about it. And so the motivation actually seemed to be off. But what does Paul say? He doesn't say, I can't believe it. They're totally selfish. They don't even care about me. Um, And he he doesn't take it personal. He says, listen, this isn't about me. This is not my mission. This is God's mission. And are people hearing about Christ? They are? Then I rejoice. Who cares if they don't like me? Who cares if they're doing it just to mess with me? Who cares if they're doing it because I'm in prison and they haven't visited me yet? 
I mean, how many of us would feel all those things and get discouraged? I think the world does a pretty good job of putting expectations on us. Or we put expectations on ourselves to meet all these requirements. And when we don't, we, we, just, we, we get sucked into self-focus, self-centeredness. All these things that we think need to happen a certain way. We make it about us, 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 us. But how many of us can look at Paul and we can say the same thing? That when, we're, when nothing's going right in our lives, we ask ourselves, is the gospel advancing? It is. Then I can rejoice. Then I'm fine. It doesn't matter if I don't have a lot of money. It doesn't matter if, I'm, if I really want to you know, date somebody or get married. I'm fine. The gospel's advancing. That's what I care about. That's what matters to me. How is it that Paul can do this? Is he just different? Is he just like a special kind of person? So we're going to look at today at what allows Paul to be able to be this way so that we can also be the same way, so that we cannot let the world dictate uh, what it is that our mission is. Because it, it means a lot now. It's important because how much of your week is like dealing with things that didn't go right for you. Like, oh, I didn't get up at the right time. Today was a bad day. The kids were one way. We came in late to church, so now I'm angry, right? Or we had a fight this morning, so now I'm frustrated the rest of the day. Things didn't go the way I wanted them to. Now I'm angry. Uh, things are not happening the way I want them to. People are not talking to me with the, way, the way I want them to talk to me. Their motivations are all wrong. Let's talk about their motivations for the next six months before I can be a friend to them. Like, this is us, right? We're sensitive. We, we get sucked into all these things. But I love how actually being singularly focused brought Paul peace. He's like, I'm not worried about their motivation. I'm, not, I'm okay. I can rejoice. I'm, I'm fine. I have one goal. And that is to see the gospel advance. I can feel this myself. I can feel like things are, I have expectations, the way that things are supposed to go, the way conversations are supposed to happen, the way things are supposed to go down. And when things go wrong, I can pull back. Uh, How's our evangelism going anyway? I think in a pluralistic society, a society of pluralism, which basically means all roads lead to happiness, we don't like to talk to anybody about anything remotely with remote authority. Uh, we talk about, like, you know, like, oh, you know, maybe, we, maybe we, this is our evangelism. Hey, you should come to church. And then someone says, oh, well, I go to Buddhist temple. And we go, oh, good for you. Like, I guess that, that will lead to some kind of peace for you. Or, oh, actually, don't, I'm atheist. Oh, okay, we stop there, right? We don't know what to do next. And so perhaps our evangelism is we spout a lot of religious words that don't really make a lot of sense to folks. But it's the best we can do, and I don't think we do it out of a bad heart. We just kind of like, well, you know, praise God for my faith. I'm so encouraged by the fellowship. Uh, like, what are you talking about? All those words. What do they mean, right? The grace of the, you know, uh, uh, of the, the body. Uh, whose body? You know, so like, what's going on here? Maybe we can spout some kind of religious words, and they don't really know it. Perhaps we think, uh, perhaps we think it's inappropriate. Oh, it's not my role. I shouldn't, I'm not good at that. I shouldn't do it. But last time I checked in Mark 1, chapter 14, when Jesus says, come follow me, I will make you fishers of men. The mission statement for the apostles is we're going to go fish for people. That's what we're going to do. And just in case we're concerned that that's not the mission statement, Jesus ends his, his ministry with the same words he begins it. Go, make disciples, baptize them, teach them to obey. This is, our, this is why we're here. This is what we're doing. It's like a fisherman walking into church with all the trappings of a fisherman with the, with the tassels on the hat and the, you know, the, the fishing rod. And how many fish have you caught? None. You look like a fisherman. Aren't, isn't your job to fish for people? Yeah, but um, sometimes I go to the lake and I look at the lake. 
Sometimes I throw, the, I throw it in there and I just kind of like see if anything. I don't really know how to do it. I've never been taught how to fish. But you look like a fisherman. We forget this is our purpose. Yeah. If we, any of us sat in one of these chairs and it broke, we wouldn't say, man, the, the chair did its best. <laughs> what a great... We'd say, man, the chair has a purpose. It actually has a very singular purpose. And it did not fulfill such purpose. What's wrong with the chair? Let's deal with this issue. The chair has a purpose. There are things that are utilitarian. They have jobs. They're supposed to do something. As a disciple, our job is to share the gospel with people. But that comes with a particular set of stress or anxiety for some of us because we go, I'm not sure that I can do that. Well, let's look at how we can be like Paul, perhaps, because we all can do the same thing that Paul does here. We can all be that way. And Paul, when he writes several years later before his death, he says something powerful to Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, he says, This is my gospel, for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. You know, Paul understood something, that this is not about him. Yeah. I am I'm stuck. I'm, a, I'm chained. I can't go anywhere. I see the same guys every day. I see Brutus, and I see uh, Clement. I can't think of other Roman names. Bobby Roman names? Anybody? Yeah, there you go. I see these same Roman guys every day. I can't go anywhere, but guess what? The mission's not about me. God's word is not chained. God's word will still fulfill the purpose to which it was sent. God's word cannot be stopped. Even if they kill me, how powerful is that? He says they could kill me, but I still have faith that God will still move forward. All I care about is the progress of the gospel, even if it's without me. How many times for us do we hear somebody share something good about their day where God worked and we can even feel envious or feel like, well, I could never do that. I'm too busy. Or if I had, if I had less kids, I could. Or of course she can do that. She's single. Or of course he can do that. He's got time. Or uh, I, bet, I bet the way he did it was weird. We can even be a little bit like, <laughs> well, like we're all about each other's motivations and we're, we're envious because and we, we, we make it about our role, not God's role. The gospel's role. We still, are, we still get sucked in so much to ourself, and it makes sense. Everything out there is about self, right? We were talking about, we were joking about this in one of the games recently. Like, there's a, an app, right? What's it called? WAG, where you get your dog walked. You don't even have to. And it tells you where the dog, uh, uh, you know, went to the bathroom. So you know where the dog went to the bathroom to the app. But somebody comes to your door and has a key, and they walk your dog for you and tell you where your dog pooped. And then they come back, and pardon my French, and they come back and... It's all self, right? Everything's self. Everything's focused on like, I don't have to go anywhere. I don't have to do anything. I don't have to leave my house. I don't have to ever do anything. It makes sense that we turn the gospel into something that's self-focused. But it's so anathema to us to understand that that it's selfless. Everything that that Paul did was selfless. And that's tough because red flags start going off. Well, I'm going to get burnt out. I can't do it. I don't have time this week. I, me, me, I, I, I. But here's the thing. What if we said this? What if we said, yeah, I don't have a lot of time this week, but God's word is not chained. Wow. Yeah, I, you know what? I do have a lot of responsibilities. But you know what? God can still work through that. Yeah, I do only see two people a week, and it's the cashier at checkout, and it's the nanny or whatever. But you know what? They're going to hear about the gospel. I don't, because God's word is not chained. Who can, I know that things are going on, but it's not about me. It's about God. Yeah. I know that I'm not a good speaker, and I stutter a lot, but God's word is not chained. God can still deliver. God can still bring it. We struggle to forget ourselves. We, we pull our role. Our role becomes our primary concern. Our job becomes our primary focus.
But for Paul to say, well, if I die, that's actually better because I kind of reached the goal that I've been striving for this whole time, which is to be with Christ. But if I stay, it actually means fruitful labor. How cool is it that he doesn't say, well, if I, if, if I die, that's Christ? Wouldn't you think, oh, to die, that's so cool for Christ? No, to live is to live for Christ. Wow. That's the hard part. To die, I gain, yeah, I'm there. To die, I get to be with Jesus. I'm done. But to live is actually fruitful labor. To live is Christ. To die is gain. To, to, while we're living, we have a job to do. We got to be able to share the gospel with people. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing. I think we can wonder, well, how do I do that? And I want to give us a practical challenge. We got to start doing something. Okay. We got to take a look at this. Now, first of all, you can't do what you don't know. So if you're not a disciple this morning, if you're not, you're not repented and been baptized, take a hard look at that first. Sit down, study the Bible, decide to give up, decide to let, to let God be in control, get baptized, begin the mission. Because if God's not Lord of your life, then this is, this is all just trivial knowledge, okay? You cannot share. It is not good news to you. How can it be good news for them? So if it's good news to you, amen, share the good news. But if you're like, I don't even know if I want to follow Christ, amen, take a look at the gospel, take a look at it for yourself, but fall in love with God first. And then be able to start sharing that with folks. But you know what Paul does? I love what Paul does when he shares his faith. Right? In Timothy, we get to see a piece of this. 1 Timothy 1, Paul says, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly. What's Paul doing? He's not saying, here's, here's, he doesn't share his faith like this. Here, this is what you should do. Here's how you should do it. He's saying, look what God has done to me. Let me tell you how I used to be. You ever done that? With somebody to say, hey, you know, 20 years ago, I would have never gone to a marriage retreat this weekend. Your coworker may say, why not? Well, 20 years ago, I lived for myself. 20 years ago, I was addicted to pornography. I was addicted to myself. 20 years ago, I had an adulterous affair. I would have never focused on my marriage that time. But now, because of God, because of Christ, I can't wait to go to a marriage retreat. How about that? That works, right? That's real. But here's the thing. It's authentic. It's real. And you know what? People, the universal languages of the world is humility. People are always put off by pride and arrogance. Like, that's the number one, like, uh, uh, critique right of christians right is they just they're they're hypocritical they look down on people they're judgmental but this is not hypocritical this is not judgmental this is real this is this is how i used to be this is sharing his life the challenge for us with the gospel is to share our life with people just say hey this is how i used to be i used to never want to go to church now I, i five nights out of the week i'm with people from the church that's crazy isn't it yeah, that's kind of crazy, man. That's a lot. That's a little too much. That's what, I know, right? It's wild. I would have never done that. Now I do it. It's crazy, but it helps me so much. I'm so grateful for them. And you know what? You know what it is? I'm spending time with people I have nothing in common with. How wild is that? I have nothing in common with them. Nothing. It's wild. Well, why do you hang out with them? Oh, well, I hang out with them because of Jesus. Because we actually get to talk about Christ. And we get to talk about our lives. And we get to work together to fight for something that's real. It's authentic. And it actually allows us to be able to build deeper relationships with people. Even if they're like, that's kind of weird and that level of intimacy I'm not quite ready for. The one thing it will do is it'll be able to introduce people to Jesus. Because Jesus' whole life was to lower himself. His whole life was humility. His, who, look at the Gospels. The Gospels are kind of talked about as almost like a, um, 
uh, at a funeral when you share about somebody's life and the great deeds they did. Uh, the Gospels are seen as like the great deeds of Jesus. The, great, the greatest deeds of, of Jesus are talking to unclean women, talking to prostitutes, having sinners in his home, uh, sharing his life with people, getting up early and praying, taking care of his mom, taking care of his family, forgiving even when it seems impossible to forgive. That's Jesus' life. So when you're actually humble with somebody and, and not, not pretentious and not shallow, but actually just share in reality how you're doing or how God's helped you, they actually get to see a piece of Jesus. And it may not be a day, it may not be a year, but you're actually helping plant seeds and having to water those seeds. You don't have to have all this knowledge to be able to share your faith. Actually, we could probably line up all the theologians of the world right here, and I bet it'd be, be quite amazing if we asked them, how many, how many people have you helped you know, to become disciples? I bet it would be interesting to see how many people, how many people have you sat down with? How many addicts have you sat down with and prayed with? How many, how many people from broken marriages have you just shared your life with? Have you, tried, have you prayed for every night? Because, simply because you want to see God work in their, in their life and their kids' life. Right? That is powerful to people. Because you know what that is? That's love. And for Jesus, love was unchained. He, he did not measure it. He didn't say, I'll die for those of you who've sinned up to this amount, and the rest of you, are, are, are that's too much. Jesus' love was unchained, so the gospel is unchained. Because Jesus' love is immeasurable, we can share this immeasurable gospel with people. It can never end. Even if you've been in the church or been a disciple for 50 years, you still have something to share. Even if you're like, like Dion, who was baptized only a few weeks ago, you have something to share. Everyone has something to share. Even if you're not quite like, there yet as a disciple, you could say, hey, can I tell you something? Like, I've been studying the Bible, and it's wild. I can't get my head around it. It's tough for me. I still haven't made the decision to follow God yet, but I'm seeing a lot. You can still just share that with somebody. But are those, is that the way our conversations are going even after church? Even at meetings of the body, are we talking about these things? Is it easy to talk about? We don't have to always have the answer. We just got to be able to share our life with people. We got to be able to bring people in and share our lives with them. Hop over to Romans chapter 5. There's something special about this. Paul does something incredible. He... He realizes the power of the gospel and he sees that God can still work. But he also has an amazing perspective. How? How can he have this kind of perspective? This is incredible. Like any of us who go through trauma or a tough situation, a broken friendship, a broken relationship, uh, a fight in marriage, we're down for the count. We're out for like two weeks, right? We need like, we need lots of help. And so this is, we have to be able to really see how important this perspective is because it's not just about, oh yeah, okay, I got to go share my faith with people. That's not what it is. God actually wants you to be at peace. He actually wants you to realize that all these things, they don't matter what you wear at school to the teens. It doesn't matter how you look. It doesn't matter what your grades are. Do your best, but at the end, it doesn't matter what your GPA is. It doesn't matter, right, who's single, who's married. It doesn't matter, like to look good or to look bad. It doesn't matter to be able to have this extra money or to go to that certain school. These things don't matter. Now, amen, we don't want to go the other way and just, you know, become like monks, you know, in a monastery. Obviously, Jesus was engaged with the people. But what I'm trying to say is, is the gospel, the progression of the gospel, your singular focus? That is your, every day you think that is the goal, is to share the gospel with somebody. And to make it a little bit more clear for us, to share my life with somebody. 
how can I just love somebody today? Let me just love people. Let me just be friendly. Sometimes I have to remind myself, like if I'm at the gym and I'm like, okay, I should probably share my faith. I should, out of guilt usually, I should probably share my faith. I have to slow down and say, you know what? How about I just be friendly? How about I just be friendly to somebody? Wouldn't that be Christ-like? Wouldn't that be a beautiful thing? I'm just going to be friendly, right? How about I just make a friend, right? That's radical. Not what we should do, but an amazing, because you know what? Christ was, brought me in as a friend. Christ did not see me as someone too distant to love or to lower himself for. Yes, of course, I'll do the same for this person. And you know what's great about it is every time we think enough's enough, I've tried to love this person. They're just unlovable. They're nuts. They're crazy. They won't love me back. They're just a weird person. We have nothing in common. All those things that pop in our head. I can't do this. I could never do this. We just go, wait, I see what's going on here. Now we have a little glimpse into how Jesus feels. And we're able to actually love more. And we're going to break past every barrier, every wall the world puts up, Satan puts up in your heart to love deeper, to love more. Because the gospel is off the chain. Love is unchained. It will never stop. And we can love more and more and more. And you're actually able to do so much more than you could ever imagine simply because your focus is to share your life with people. In Romans chapter 5. I'm in Romans 1. That's not, that's not the right chapter. Romans 5. <laughs> Paul writes, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, this morning as I was praying... I, um, I was getting stressed because I thought about a lot of things. I saw, I'm going to see a lot of people at church today. There's a lot of, I, I know a lot of situations that are happening. And I want to talk to certain people and I want to be able to love them. I want to be able to take care of them. I want to be able to be enough for all these people. And even when you come in, you know, there's, you hear news about something happening. You hear news about someone, you know, even this morning, I know, I think she, I'm pretty sure she's okay, but Monica was in a car accident this morning. Find out that news right when I walk in the door, right? And now you're thinking, okay, well, do I call? Do I go back? Do we get service started? Do we delay? Do I call? How do we, what do we do? And I can think about all the things I need to do and I can get stressed out about what I need to do for all these people. And sometimes we even let people put those expectations on us. Like, you need to do this for me. You need to do that for me. And so peace is actually a lot more rare than we might think it is. How often are we really at peace? How often are we really at peace with, and you know what I had to pray through? I said, God, help me love people today. It brought me peace. I thought, you know what? It's just about loving people. I don't know how to help that. I, I have the answer, but let me just be friendly. Let me just love people. And it actually brought me peace because when we realized that's all Jesus did for us, he loved you. And it was a love that's amazing, but it actually can bring and will bring peace. And that's amazing. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace into which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. And character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame, amen? Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, while we were still sinners, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. No, for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, 
if Paul had his own expectations to judge himself, his own expectations from the world to bring him down, he could have easily perceived himself and his mission as a failure. I've come to Rome to help. People don't like me. I'm in prison. They're not even visiting me. In fact, they're just taking this advantage to rub salt in the wound. He could have easily been discouraged and been hurt. But perhaps, perhaps he remembered Christ. And even though Jesus suffered and died alone on the hill of Calvary, the gospel was not chained. Perhaps he remembered that the Pharisees even posted guards at Jesus' tomb to make sure that he would not be raised from the dead. And Paul remembered that the gospel is not chained despite suffering, despite death even. Paul says, even if I die, it is not over. God will still work. Even though Christ could have not been more humiliated in the way he died, even though the pain he suffered was unimaginable, the gospel was not chained. We have to be able to look at and appreciate too that we have our perfect example in Jesus, but all we have to do really is constantly be able to fix our eyes on him. And I want to encourage us, church, to take a good look at this. How are your relationships? How are your friendships? Do they tend to be shallow? Even if you say religious things, is it shallow? Uh, is, it, is there vulnerability? Is there honesty? How do you interact with people who are not Christian, who are not part of the church, who you see every day? Do, would they say, yeah, she shares her life. I'm, I, I'm impacted by her. Do you have them over into your home? Do you have lunch with them? Do you, do you, it's pretty easy. Just say, just say the sentence, you know, there are things that I would, ne- I would never have done 20 years ago that I do today. Just wait. Like what? Well, let me tell you. Just share your life with people. It's okay. I'm different now. And you know what's powerful? You know why it's peace? Because it's not about you. It's peaceful because it's not about your ability. Even if you have a bad day, that's okay because the gospel is not about your role. It's about God's role. And it's not about what goes on with you, but you're actually able to see. And what would happen in the church if we all had the same heart? Paul only saw six people a day, right? Only six, but all six heard his story. How many people hear your story a day? How many people do you share your life with? How many people do you really go for? Because the, the thing is, is we, we risk so much. If we really believe that God is real, and I believe a lot of us do, if we believe Satan is real, then we, if we really love people, we've got to tell them about the truth that we have. We've got to be able to let them in and let them know that Caesar is not king. Hey, buddy, I know Caesar kind of, you know, he, he did save you. I know that, you know, he's done a lot for you. But Caesar is not king. Jesus is king. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is going to be the only one who brings fulfillment. Not this relationship. Not this dating partner. Not this job. That's not going to bring it for you. Right? Only Jesus can. You know how I know? Because I used to always do those things. I used to be so focused on myself. I used to never talk to anybody about my life. And now I get with men once a week in the morning and talk about my sin in specific. That is nuts. How many people at UVA are sitting down at a table talking specifically about their sin and asking for help? That's amazing. That's wild. That's different. But it only happens if we realize the gospel is not about us. The gospel is not about us. The gospel is unchained. And there's so much good going on in the church. There's so much good happening. But I want to encourage us, what would it look like just this week if you just did what Paul did in one day in a week? Just share with six people something real, something vulnerable, something honest. Just love six people this week. What would it look like next Sunday? 
What would happen at the Mines Clubhouse at 5 p.m.? Not a big place, but maybe, maybe it's packed out. Maybe people who never, ever would have thought about God before say, man, this girl, she's different. I'm, I'm going to check it out. Come on. Right? I'm going to check it out. And it doesn't matter what it looks like. It doesn't matter it's the Mines Clubhouse. It doesn't matter that it's small. It doesn't matter that, you know, maybe it started late. And maybe the people, you know, aren't the most athletic or the smartest ever. That's okay because the gospel is not about us. The gospel is unchained. And as we close out today's church, we're going to sing Amazing Grace. There's something, that is a, there's something that's incredible in Amazing Grace. It reminds us of our standing, but also reminds us of what, how we're able to be then brought in and connected to God. Because it's a gift of God. Uh, amazing Grace was originally written by abolitionists, which is pretty amazing, pretty awesome. Uh, actually, was a former slave. Uh, he actually used to work in the slave trade. The guy who wrote the song. And then he you know, um, repented, became a disciple, and worked as an abolition. But he was always haunted by his memories of what he had done. And so when he says a wretch like me, I mean, he understands, okay, wretch like me. But it's amazing grace. It's, he realizes it's not about him and his sins, as horrifying as they are, we're not too big for Jesus. And it's the same for us. So let's be able to sing these same words tonight, uh, this morning, rather. And we'll close out with some of those words right now. "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved." How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. So let's go ahead and actually close out with a prayer here. Uh, Let's pray for our sister Monica, and uh, we'll have a final song. Uh, Dear Lord in heaven, God, we are so grateful for this morning. God, we want to pray specifically right now for Monica. I know it's been a a tough few weeks, God, with her father being diagnosed with cancer, God, and then having having the surgery, God, having the... We pray that all that has worked out, God. I know that that Steve is healing. But God, I pray that whatever happened with Monica this morning, that she's okay. I pray that uh, somehow, perhaps, she was even able to share her life with somebody involved. Uh, God, and that you can work, God, due to this terrible situation. God, I pray for all of us this week that we can fix our eyes on your son. God, and that we can see that the gospel is about you. The gospel is about how incredible you are. God, and if we can just help people see you, if we can just bring, drag people to Jesus. God, that we can see that the gospel is not chained. God, that the gospel is something that is always going to be able to work. God, I pray that we can love people today, that after we break God, that we can have some great conversations just to be honest and humble and vulnerable and open and to not let Satan make us feel any kind of stress or anxiety about that, but just to be real with people, to let, just to let the guards down, let the walls down, just be real with somebody and that we, there will be no, uh, no expectations, no pretension, no judgment, God, put on us by, by, by humans, God, but rather just a, a, a collective striving to please our Father and a collective striving to make you happy, God, and to make you, uh, to rejoice, God, and to bring honor to you. So we love you for this. We're so grateful for all the, all the gifts you give us, including suffering, which we know that uh, allows us to be able to have perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. Uh, God, we know it is not for nothing that we suffer. Uh, God, but I pray that we can remember this. It's in your son's amazing name we pray. Amen. Amen.